Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. What's going on? I'm uh, I'm watching uh, time go by on my touch bar here. We've recorded for 13 seconds. Yeah, yeah. So are you transitioning to being a lifestyle blogger instead of a 3D performance artist, as Apple wants you to? Yeah, I've just become a tech blogger for Apple. <laughs> That's my yeah. new day job. I think uh, for another two years, we're still allowed to podcast. Then they're going to take out audio out of their laptops. Right. <laughs> you don't need that. But I've been like posting like benchmarks and like op-eds on Apple <laughs> all week. <laughs> as I like, You've as been I sort fuming of fuming at the mouth. Yeah, as I wade through what is the most important crisis in America. <laughs> it feels so wrong at this time to be talking about the MacBook Pro. Uh, yeah. After well, the today is the day after the biggest officially the biggest day protest day in american history or maybe even world history but apparently in america yeah but that's it, not what this podcast is about no it's not but it just puts the pot it puts the podcast in perspective Raphael, doesn't it <laughs> well it, it, the only thing i want to say is that people discuss like oh it's in bad form to think about art on a day like this and etc but Nobody says the same thing about music. Like, are you allowed to listen to a fun song on a horrible day to feel better? Or is that in bad form? And and why do artists then all of a sudden, is it in bad taste to... Yeah. Like a lot of galleries were closing and things like this for that day as a protest. Right. I guess you wouldn't go to a concert on the same day. I mean, I'm all for just, you know, pretty much celebrating... Uh, anytime people are politically active and motivated, uh, because to our to our episode last week about laziness, it's like the opposite of that, right? So it's like yeah. it's yeah. a fired up and ready to go kind of thing, as Obama would have said. <laughs> but like yeah. you know, the, people don't get fired up that often. Um, so I'm always really excited because I, I perform. I'll get out um, and do per- like I performed three times this week, and in every single case, there's this part at the beginning when I appear in front of people where I have to kind of wake them up you know, I kind of have to charge yeah, them up yeah. I have well to that's take... what a good performer does yeah <laughs> like a like a preacher yeah they're not they're not necessarily aware that that's what I'm doing but like I have all kinds of little tricks to you know like you know come on let's go come on let's do this together I, but I have but to really... you always do the thing like can I get an applause and then oh mm-hmm. I can't hear you <laughs> <laughs> you also uh, you have to do the you know it's all about you kind of you like you really have to make sure that the audience recognizes that they're a part of it um, and so you have to single people out, talk to them. You, you get to a car, them. you get a car, everybody <laughs> gets a car. But you know, when you go to a comedy club, they do that, right? You know where they heckle the the audience? They bring in the person before the comedian goes on. Yeah, it's a super yeah, important yeah. role. But what that person does, you'll notice every time, is that they they identify individuals in the audience and they make sure that the audience understands that they're part of the performance, right? So they're like, hey, who are you? Where are you from, right? And then they make fun of yeah, you. Yeah, I went to the Colbert show taping in New York. That was fun. But yeah. they, they have a whole... A comedy bit that they don't show on TV that just to get the crowd uh, more active and then Stephen Colbert comes in himself and gets the crowd more active and then yeah. the show starts yeah yeah but if you don't do that you're doing it during uh, during the performance which you also have to do and it's a lot of work but what what I try and do now is sit down with people find people before the show talk to them get them laughing like it's this whole, it's this whole pre-performance routine <laughs> It's amazing that that you, as a performer, that you just decide the emotional state of the crowd. The crowd wants to laugh, but you also have to deliver the goods. They might not laugh. Well, it's funny, yeah, like, because this week I was giving, because even when I give a talk, I do this, but, like, 
um, I gave this talk and I, I actually, I really quite like the other artists. And beforehand though, I was doing my normal thing where I was warming up the audience, meeting with people, sitting down, talking. <laughs> and then, and then I, I did my thing on stage. And, you know, of course you like, I'm sure you do this too. You like go around, you thank all the tech staff, like the technical staff, make sure that they know that you're for them, right? Because they, you don't want it. Technical... The tech staff, I always feel sorry for because they, they only get attention when things go bad. So I, I usually try to get a round of applause if the tech is working. Yeah, no, but they're doing like without them, obviously it's like impossible to do a good show. I had, I had one talk that was a pretty important one and I got on the stage all fired up and then the projection wasn't working. <laughs> and for five minutes, I was kind of, I was silent, and then I was describing my work in words, and sort of it wasn't really work. And later on, I thought, oh, I should have asked everybody to get their phone out and look at the work that way. But it didn't. It was kind of a panic moment. And I saw a recording later, and I think it was only three minutes, but it felt like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you have to empathize with the tech in that case. I feel like we've all been there, where something. Something doesn't I've work. Seen, I've seen a lot of bands. I always talk about this that I, I come from a punk metal background, but uh, those bands are all about aggression. So when mm -hmm. the tech is not working, they'll beat up the sound guy and like, <laughs> it'll get smacked. And then you know, that's when you really feel bad for the tech guy. Yeah, it's a really unglamorous uh, position that behind the scenes at a. And they have so every day there's like a different demanding performer well, coming through. This might be a nice little bridge to this week's topic. So it, I think a lot of people work in the arts or in music or whatever at a lower rate just to escape office life. Right. <laughs> so they'll, they'll deal with metal bands uh, shitting on them just so they don't have to sit in an office. But yeah. today's topic yeah. is life in the office. Yeah, so you, is that okay? Or, or yeah, are no, we no, talking it's super about okay. You, you made it super yeah. formal too, and it reminds me like last night I was um, I did a, a, a performance, and then after an old friend from like I don't know ten or fifteen years ago, I hadn't seen in a while, was there, and I asked him what he was doing. He's like, "Yeah, I'm working uh, in a bank, and I also do medical drawings for this large hospital." <laughs> but this is a guy that had a heavy metal band. <laughs> <laughs> and he also had this amazing band that did like uh, like uh, metal like covers of 80s and 90s television theme songs and somehow they all sounded amazing when he did it uh, that sounds good yeah but he's like yeah I just like I couldn't handle doing my own thing anymore because and he still makes metal music or but he was like I just like I was spending all my time chasing after people to pay me and it was like I couldn't do what I love because I was like barely able to make a living and so the yeah, so now so now when when the music is is purely a hobby there's no profit motive it's more fun yeah so he was like he's still now he has three bands and he works for a bank <laughs> I just yeah, thought it was might as well it's just nice that touring contrast. becomes harder when you have a, a totally. fixed job totally yeah. yeah and I don't think he is touring or maybe he's finding a way to do it but the I think you wanted to talk about um, office culture, right? Like, yeah, you know, I yeah. work in an office. Uh, well, and, and and how it has changed. I don't know how long you've been in an office, but how it's changed because of the computer. Well, it's interesting because you said you know you use the word culture, and we're you know we're obviously there are cultural workers that we were talking about just a second ago. But startup culture is kind of the culture that I'm a part of. Yeah, um, is that is that very different than uh, traditional office culture? Well, I think that. The impression is that it is right, like that. Uh, that this is kind of 
the and it's spreading outside of the office, which I think is why it's an interesting topic. Otherwise, I would have banned us from talking about it because I believe no one wants to hear about this. But I think it's like starting to affect people outside of those buildings, right? So it's like, um, you know, you might be organizing, uh, you might be part of like a local meetup or something like, mm, we should borrow some of these like design thinking ideas from startup culture or <laughs> you might be... Yeah, like these management styles and the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, it, you know, you might be just like hanging out with your parents and they're like, you know, we've taken a, a more lean approach to preparing <laughs> breakfast in the morning. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a potluck and we're going to make it more dynamic. And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, we're but, doing an ideation but, but, session later on on what we should do with your ki- you kids and, and your old stuff in the basement that kind of thing. But what, what's interesting to me is that uh, from a lot of people I hear that they uh, feel very trapped sometimes but at the same time life outside the office and outside of that fixed like you said your friend he, he wanted to do the music life and it turned out that was so much of being a small business manager that he'd rather do a real business and do the music for fun. So yeah. it, 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 the, the, the interesting thing to me with office culture is that there's a lot of lifestyle blogs or people saying, oh, get out of the office, but maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, yeah. Here's my impression. You know, I was talking to another uh, colleague yesterday, one of my art, my lean artists, as I call them, like people, uh, I have this group of artists that I'm coaching to become better at business um, as artists. And uh, it's kind of your incubator, my incu- my accelerator incubator. But she, this is the most politically active kind of like she she works and makes games, and she lives in a quite often has lived in like communal kind of situations, you know, where like they've taken over a factory, a hundred people, and then they've like, you know, they as squatters, kind of like she does a little bit of kind of squatting and communal living and and promotes that and but she was like you know i just like i've been doing so many things for so many years for other people and then it's like i start from scratch over and over again and i it's this year it's it's time for me to you know to to organize you know i'm thinking of starting a company that's how she put it it's like you know because at the end of the day form it will will reach a lasting result instead of a temporary result well yeah because she was saying like i did this project and where there were 50 people and now they're coming and they're like what's next and I'm like I don't know <laughs> and so she's like yeah, maybe I it's should the sa- I mean when I saw the social network interviews with Mark Zuckerberg that it starts out as something fun and friends and hacking but mm-hmm. then you have more people and then you have to have an office culture and you, you don't you don't want to be the stale company that nobody likes working at but at the same time you need some structure so that it can grow and so people know what's going on and they can collaborate with larger groups. And yeah, and that's actually the thing that she's working on. She's working on a project that would, <clears throat> with me, where it would be like a set of standards for when you're working with people that you could, like a Creative Commons, like a badge or something that you could all share and say, like, these are common values we share. And it, it's remarkable because every company, when they start, they set up like these values. I don't know if people know this, but they probably do because it's cliche, right? It'll be like... Honesty, perseverance, like don't be you know, evil. Ambition, yeah. Well, yeah. well, yeah. Google had don't be evil, right? Yeah. We we have a few at our office too. And at first, when you enter into these cultures, where because in some places no one cares, they're like whatever. We sell uh, drugs to children. <laughs> That's our business. <laughs> yeah. We're Pregnant making women. a profit. Doesn't yeah, matter. We're making a profit off uh, death and destruction. But um, outside of like oil companies and horrible pharmaceutical companies, uh, in some companies, the people really, really believe in it. The one I, you know, at FreshBooks where I work, they 
the it's a little it comes off they're really important to the people there some of them and so it comes off a little cultish like you're you've entered a cult like yeah. who are these weird people well Why that's I, I think thing? I think that's the the thing so an office is a large group of people working together that's that's what an office is and then it's a miracle it's it's something that uh, yeah how does it? I guess other species do as well like bees and ants but <laughs> right. it's 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 pretty impressive knowing that a thousand or ten thousand people can work together on one mission and mm-hmm. uh, but you lose a little bit of individuality. That's, I think, the hard part for a lot of people where, okay, I'm a small <coughs> part of a large machine, mm-hmm. and, and how do you stimulate people that they feel like they're contributing? And No, that's it's the, true. That's yeah. the hard thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sometimes you have politics inside of organizations, which is very destructive, and that's when people stop acting, acting as a whole and they start acting out of self-interest. Um, and then you have to gamify it so the self-interest benefits the company. <laughs> well, the thing that, yeah, that most good kind of managers, that's the other thing. It's like, I'm a manager. I have to admit it to myself. And it always sours people's faces <laughs> when they hear that. Mm-hmm. But the the best rule that anyone's taught me and that I've or I've read is, um, you know, you have to treat every individual like an individual. And that's the only way you can get the whole collective to operate well. So it helps if you know people's names. Yeah, that's like super important, obviously. If, if you go like, hey, uh, number 27, uh, I'm a pretty tired. Can you get number 31 and just yeah, deal with it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is like we have, I think there's an outdated image of, well, there's two images of, uh, of, of corporate culture, right? There's the image from the 80s of the fax machine not working and cubicles and things like that. Um, and then there's the startup image, which is like beanbag chairs and glass mm-hmm. walls and like people and actually don't the, work. There's the sort of 40s, 50s Orwellian office where everyone's wearing the same suit and everyone's quiet and yeah. everything's at the, exactly the same time. And yeah. But I think like... It, the, but, but what interests me is the open office, uh, um, mm. how the cubicle was kind of uh, a, a visual symbol for a very boring life. Oh, it's a cubicle life. But at the same time, I think a lot of people now would love a cubicle because they're always sitting next to everybody. <laughs> they're distracted. It's like, wow, a cubicle. That sounds luxurious. It's true. Well, the, like, went, it, it went from the personal room to the cubicle to the open space. Well, do you know this term? Maybe people don't know about this, but like it's common if you're the higher up you are, the, the more you're supposed to believe in something called servant leadership. So the idea is by making yourself like by sacrificing it's a bit of a mother, mother teresa thing you you have to sacrifice some privilege in the organization to gain power so basically like and it's a good idea right it's like the what's it, the next step will it be open <laughs> toilets <laughs> but like i've never had a, a desk near a window because that would demonstrate that i had too much power in the organization mm-hmm. so the more power you have like you know the the less artist studios are different. The, the the artist studios that I've seen of bigger artists, they mm-hmm. o- it's always like a big factory, and then there's a little showroom office with champagne, and that's where the artists. <laughs> well, it does remember. It, it remind me rather that like I worked in a gallery for a little while after school, and as I was le- I was I was in working like with the installations kind of stuff, and there was the, one of the carpenters that I worked with, he came to me and he's like, look, I just wanted to let you know, the director has asked that I do a renovation of her office area. And I had, to, I, I quoted way too high because what she asked for was that there'd be a platform higher than the rest of the office. 
<laughs> that her desk could sit on. And then she wanted to build these walls so it was soundproof. <laughs> That she would be in this like glass well, uh, tower. gallery system is very elitist. It's not like it, it's very much about power. And, yeah. yeah, but I was just like, it just shocked me because she was later arrested for fraud. Right, she turned out she was stealing all this money. But she's just a horrible human being. Was not a surprise. But that's not how um, the best organized. I mean, with the exception of maybe like Bezos and Jobs, and I'm not really sure if those like those leaders are really like they say they were because. <clears throat> like the idea of like leading from the ground, grassroots movement um, is so is so often associated with like positive uh, organizational culture, culture, and it gets better results. It just gets yeah, and it, I I hate to spoil everyone's you know you know dystopia about corporate culture, but <clears throat> some really good organizations are run that way, and they're not bad places to work. Um, you know where the where it's pretty much the leader is just trying to help everyone get uh, turn into you know become leaders themselves and, and grow, and it, it sounds a bit cheesy, but that's kind of the the mantra in a lot of places. Um, maybe not everywhere, but that's certainly one of the things that. Um, but and I've and have on. you seen through the years that uh, the the office environment and the architecture of the office changes the behavior of people? Yeah, yeah. Like um, an open plan, I know is like it's really distracting and noisy and I recorded yeah, like if you're a coder or a designer and you have to really you want to have one task for the yeah. whole day and, and kind of be in your, in the it, zone this is the controversial topic it's like kind of so funny that it always comes up but the solution to it is really just headphones so like where we work we just gave everyone $200 headphone credit and like everyone stopped complaining because they're like I get to have the fanciest headphones <laughs> okay <laughs> so but but in in that case um, if they had their own room they would be too secluded and then that would that would make the team less cohesive yeah like you should so much of work is about um communication right i remember there was they tried to have this thing called wordless wednesdays one year at our office and it was like you couldn't speak on a wednesday I, and i'd always break the rule and people would be like looking at me like it's wordless wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't it's like i don't i don't i can't communicate what Did am you i gonna also do? have terrible tuesday <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, yeah no eating fridays or something there's a really Starvation funny will ferrell skit where he's a horrible boss and he just Starts beating his employees with a golf club <laughs> to, to bloody pulp. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, so did you ever test? It? Someone told me, for example, that uh, he had different companies, and he said that if I underpay my employees ten percent, they work way harder. It, it, he said it's the weirdest thing, but if you give them just a little bit too little. They feel like they have to prove, and they're so hungry. Yeah, there's this stupid statistic out there that says that if you make more than seventy five thousand dollars, like that's the point at which people are. You don't need to pay them anymore. They never get happier if you pay them more money. I think this was this this statistic comes from someone that's making a million dollars, and it's definitely not coming. Anyone from, under seventy five yeah. million, the, the extra millions don't. Yeah, uh, and I don't think it's coming from like a woman who's earning like sixty percent less. Or sixty percent of what her male colleagues are making. This um, this is something that's interesting to me. Um, I've seen a lot of people having a burnout at some point, mm -hmm. and it's pretty severe. Where they ignore it first, but at some point they can't get out of bed, and their hands are shaking. And really, and the and the main complaint 
is always that they don't feel appreciated. I've never heard anyone have a burnout because they're not getting paid enough. And, yeah. and to me to me it was weird because I'm thinking work is something you do for money. Mm-hmm. You're getting a good salary. Who cares what they think of you? Right. But then it's the same in the art world where you can sell a lot of work, but if your peers don't respect your work, then there's still something missing. Right. Yeah, well, it's true. Like the money is nice, but if you don't do all the other sort of oxygen and water stuff like you're you're absolutely right though um the rule according to you know best practices for every like one negative piece of criticism you give someone you have to give them at least five positive Mm -hmm. reinforcements or encouragement kind of yeah you have fresh breath today good yeah Yeah. well great job how do you do that yeah but But you have to cut your time yeah very few people ever say good job and i think it's because they think it'll come off as insincere or something like that Mm mm-hmm um, what if you say good job? <laughs> good, good, yeah, good job. Good job, good job, yeah, good job. Good job. Great, good, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it always does sound a little insincere unless it's you know someone really did do something uh, good. But I know what you're talking about. I definitely know people who, uh, in in my own context and life and workplace, where they're working till like midnight, even though most everyone else checked out at, like six p.m. Right? Like, and for some reason, they're there. The perfectionists. Yeah, and quite often they're like doing work that everyone like, like the next day people come in like that's piece that's no that's not right. Do it like this. Instead, right? <laughs> <laughs> My policy yeah. has always been to like do as little as possible and share it as soon as there's possible. a similar thing in, in, in art where people like you see something and then they want to tell you how much work it was and it, it's really yeah, 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 it was really expensive and I went and uh, like, no, yeah. But yeah. sometimes people really appreciate that in art where they're like well it looks like a monochrome but actually it took five years and there's all these different kinds of paint behind but then he, there was the monochrome layer I think it's like outside of the art world that people have this impression that it's not good art if it hasn't taken a long time right but in the mm-hmm. art world we're all like you spent if you didn't spend any time on it it's great we're like that that person's a genius like give them their yeah, space yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. an oracle among us <laughs> watch yeah. out uh they're a mystical being is, is there a similar thing in office culture where it's like yeah i put this together in se- seven seconds and the client loved it um yeah that that does it it does exist i mean i promote that philosophy um so the idea because a lot of designers at least in design they'll protect their work so uh there's an instinct uh to like it's never it's not quite right don't look at it ah don't look at my screen it's not ready yet that kind of thing and so i i tried to develop a culture where um no one ever has more than 24 hours to work on something before they have to share it well, there's something funny about uh, unfinished work on a computer. So I think <laughs> unfinished drawings are very clear that they're unfinished. Yeah. I, I think even in painting, the first layer is with this uh, with charcoal, and then there's a layer with some ground. There's very specific stages. But when you show an unfinished animation or an unfinished sketch for a website, it looks like a bad work. It doesn't look like an unfinished work because everything on the computer is so perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's true. If you put a rectangle, it's a perfect rectangle. So I, I knew of people who would, they had a digital agency and they would hire an illustrator to make uh, pencil sketches of websites after they had made a sketch on the computer just to show the client so they understood mm-hmm. this is not this is a sketch. Yeah, that's why they have this whole, you know, the, there's a whole industry built around this idea of a wireframe. I'm sure people have heard that term before, but it's like a black and white drawing of a website. It's funny, that's actually a good idea for a series of drawings. Yeah. I was going to do it first. You were, <laughs> your listeners. 
wireframes. But you kind of have pro, your... Pro tip. Yeah. <laughs> pro tip. That's well, how you come you, up you with You can ideas. do a wireframe with actual wires and like stitch it together. Oh, yeah. Brought to you by Amalia Allman. It's like... <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Calder. Yeah. yeah. But um, about office culture and the, and the communication between people and the... Yeah. Have you seen it getting better like throughout the years? Well, here's the thing. So let's set. Uh, let me paint a picture of what startup uh, culture. Because how, lo- how long have you been like. working in offices? Um, various offices since for over 15 years, I guess probably in some. So that's been a transition into a different style of management. Yeah, because I I started out my life in agency culture, which is it's so it's been open concept my whole career. I've never I never lived okay. in. The idea of a cubicle, I don't think, really exists outside. Because the idea of, of Mad Men, where uh, mm-hmm. you have the big space in the middle where all the secretaries were, and yeah. all the executives had their own room, and, and you work your way up to the coolest room. That was the classic office. At least in creative industries and software, that doesn't exist. There are no offices. No one has offices. Instead, you have like little rooms that you can go to into. Like, but lawyer, like, lawyers and finance, they have offices. They they and and you work your way up to the corner office. Yeah, that maybe that still exists in those high status, high power kind of uh, places where it's like it's you're billing by the hour and you know yeah because billing. to me the, the the scariest thing of having to work in an office is that loss of privacy where you you can't be in a room and play music and that seems really hard yeah I guess the headphones solve it what do you do yeah I guess the it is a little bit of like a panopticon kind of situation what are you doing that you need privacy <laughs> but it's true yeah. sometimes what I open up to hide when yeah. I open a Facebook tab at work I'm immediately nervous like what are they going to think? <laughs> um, Another friend of mine would sit in the... He, he, he got this... Uh, there's all these different places, but he found a space and he, he asked, I need two big screens. So he cornered himself in and no one could actually see and he was just shopping all day. Oh, really? Well, yeah. the there's a solution to that problem. Most executives, I'll just let you know, they have these little things they put in front of their screens and they polarize oh, the yeah. screen so you can only see it if you're looking straight ahead. You can't see it at all from the angle. It's but like then they, there's offices where they have a, a, a web filter and they can monitor how much you're on social media. Yeah, no one, I don't think very many companies do that unless you're working in customer service or something, you know, yeah. um, which often in a lot of organizations... Not ours, but in, in others. Like teachers something. might get fired because yeah. they've been browsing adult websites. But I was actually heard a story about Amazon uh, last week where in their factories, they, you know, where people are, not their factories, but their warehouses, they have cameras watching people, whether they're moving or not. And as soon as they stop moving, there's a little timer that goes up called idle time. <laughs> and it associates with the face and they're like you were not moving for two minutes it's today. so crazy when you think about the how the internet started and everybody's like oh it's gonna make life so fun and it's gonna be so nice but we're I, gonna have this amazing life i did tell this story though to a friend and he was like well i worked in a in a in a warehouse and they did the same thing before computers manually so there would be like a guy that was watching from like a high tower kind of thing. <laughs> He's like, you're not moving. Move. I notice. <laughs> Come on. Keep it going. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, and, and the other thing with um, companies is I would rather be measured by uh, results than by time. But mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Huh? Um, no, it's how it works. I mean, it, yeah. it's just that it takes a lot of time sometimes if, if to get you, results. If you, have a, if you have one of your designers and you're like, you need to do this and it he or she does a great job in 20 minutes. You, you can go home now? 
Uh, well, there's always more work to be done, Raphael. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> what I mean. Yeah, yeah exactly. but if you if you get paid for the activity, you're like, okay, the, yeah, instead of being paid for time. So the way it works is, I don't manage their time; their team does, and that's maybe like you could argue that that's uh, like uh, a little bit of a role reversal in a in a weird kind of dystopian way because. Basically, I, if someone asks for time off, it, I always automatically give it to them. But the first question is like, did you let your team know, right? Because everyone on that team... Are, is, are your employees now getting all this inside information that they shouldn't be having? No, no, this is public knowledge. But like, okay. the, you know, the team is responsible for the team's number. I'm, And I'm responsible, obviously, for something a little bit uh, larger than that. But so they're accountable to... Like, you wouldn't let a friend down or a team member down. And I think... That's a, it's a reasonable way of thinking about work, as we said earlier on, right? Like, if two people are waiting for you to finish something and you haven't finished it and you want to leave, okay, great, go leave. But they're not going to be very happy with you when you come in the next day, right? Yeah. Um, and so it really, like, I've, I've, I would never tell someone what to do or how long it should take um, unless I thought it was super easy and they should do, it shouldn't take very long, right? Like, don't take too long to do this. Um, it's not important that you spend a lot of time on it. But uh, yeah, these things kind of like the way modern companies like startups work are there these independent autonomous teams. They kind of do whatever they want because autonomy is like, you know, super important to motivation. They do whatever they want as long as it's in line with strategy. And, um, you know, people are pretty fairly compensated. I think it's interesting to think about like this being a bit of a bubble. Like there are some startups that have this mythology built around them. I know here in Toronto, there's one called... Well, you, the, the startup where you are is, is is pretty solid and it's been going for a few years. But I think if it's a, a new startup that exists for five months and they're strapped for cash... Yeah, so those in those places, which I've visited quite often, people are definitely working like around the clock because they know that the business might not be there tomorrow, it's right? It's do or die. Yeah, it's do or die. But it's funny, some people are, get really excited about that because they're like, it feels like their work has meaning, like they're making an impact. Yeah. And in larger companies, it can sometimes feel it's, like... It's funny, I, I, a friend of mine did a project with Google Glass and the people from the Google Glass team took him aside. This was before Google Glass was killed. And yeah. Like, Please, I need to escape. Do you have an exit for me? I'm dying. <laughs> Because <laughs> when you when you're working on something and and it's clear that nobody wants it, but some executive is like, let's let's right. give it another go. Yeah, I've definitely uh, heard that before. Because as soon as you're yeah, like people who are working on pitch decks most of the time to try and get investment dollars instead of actually creating you know something of value. So it's nice when you're working on something that is going well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then there are of course there's this myth of these startups where it's like the people the it's like royalty. Like I was at. Uh, the Canada, I were working a little bit with the Canada Council for the Arts, which is a government organization here in Canada, you know, funding the arts. And their offices are just below the like the hottest Canadian startup, the startup called Shopify. And so they just hear stories about like water slides and like smoothies and like fresh roast but turkey that's at a, lunch. I, I always say, yeah, success is exponential. So as soon as uh, you hear that it's going well and the place is exciting, then the best people want to go there. And then the best people go there, and so they get even better employees. Things go even better. Yeah. Everybody's excited. And then you have the second tier and the third tier, and they're like grinding, like, oh, I know, just keep, come on, guys. <laughs> I know we don't have the coolest employees, but... No, and I've seen that I've seen that happen. I've seen a lot of people defect to these places where the mythology of, like, the perks, and there's this perks, like, kind of a space race for perks in startup, the startup world. More than salary. 
yeah the perks are what like you know in the in the uh, the cynical thing everyone even in startup culture says is like that's that's so that they can keep you there longer right because you're having such a good time it's so funny the perks are like the laundry the free food the yeah yeah and generally I, i don't have access to that many perks once a week we have lunch there's this we have some snacks available there's a famous story where i got a perrier is like a standard drink in the fridge because i lobbied for it <laughs> uh, we call it the jerry yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly i have i gotta get that started well, well google had that culture of, of prolonging college life where you you go straight from college to google and they take care of everything your mom would take care of so mm-hmm. they, they do your laundry they find a house for you they take care of your pets they The food is unlimited, so you never have to think about growing up, and you can just be this teenager who's obsessed with your hobby, and and you just continue that life. Well, what I think is really interesting about it personally that that amuses me is that startup culture is becoming more and more like communist culture. <laughs> so, like, just bear with me for a second. Like, there are these collectives of people getting together, deciding we're all going to work on a common task. And then guess what? We're gonna yeah, we're gonna if you do that, you're gonna be well fed, and you're you know you're you're gonna be healthy, and your family's gonna be taken care of. Your kids because we have a daycare. Are gonna, so you're like buying into a whole almost like government. And even Google's offices that they're planning in California are even like gonna have like a glass bubble over them, like a like a whole world. <laughs> And yeah. so they're becoming these like little mini societies, and I think it's yeah. it's quite amusing because they're trying to create what they're not you know, people are not finding outside like out in the you know on their own, right? Well, then they're also they ha- a lot of them have a libertarian view where they really don't trust government and wish it would just stay out of the way, right? So it's like, well, we can do government better, kind of thing. But I think yeah. it's really interesting in antithesis with that with with labor trends, which are actually towards contract and self employment, right? Like in America, the largest growing group of people are people who are self-employed and i think it's really interesting because meanwhile startups are becoming like the heroes of employment and they're forming these like collective but they, there's a, the, the price you pay is that they want you to be there 24 hours a day so they're like of course we'll take care of your family and it means mm-hmm. you don't have time for your family Yeah, and I want it's like, but it, it, that's like very much like a collective farm where it's like, you know, <laughs> like my grandparents. Yeah, but a collective farm, you would see your children, but this is more like... Uh, you see your children day. working, Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, as long as you're working a certain number of hours, I think it, the thing is work-life balance. And the it, it, this is like historically true, though, in any, if you talk to a... Any like labor kind of union type person or Marxist, they'll talk to you about like um, when there are when the pool of labor is scarce, when there's not very much of a person, then the employer, you know, has to fight for you know for those mm-hmm. people, and the work conditions improve to a certain level, which is the thing yeah. I think what we've but, experienced. But, uh, as much as I've seen in the U.S., um, work conditions, the perks improve, but the workload is always high. That that never goes down. Yeah, and the U.S. has a separate culture because the Netherlands has this culture where yeah. uh, both parents might work, but each for four or three and a half days, so they yeah. can spend a lot of time with the kids. And I have friends who are like, "Yeah, I would make thirty percent more money if I would work one day a week more, but I I don't need the money." Yeah, yeah, and there, but there's lots of research to suggest that working more hours actually reduces productivity. Um, so there are some companies that. Have this yeah, life. but I think in startup world, I just saw an interview with Bill Gates, mm-hmm. and he said he succeeded in the beginning. He didn't get married until he was 38, so he was really, mm. he said he hardly slept and just 
and Elon Musk was the same thing. He said, I was less distracted back then. Uh, yeah. I didn't have a family and I slept on the couch in the office. I didn't have an apartment. So there's, I don't know if it's true, but there's this myth of like, you give it everything you you have, and uh, especially in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I mean, do you, did you talk to the FreshBooks founders and was it that way in the beginning? I work, uh, I should let, you know, I work 80% time. Um, I negotiated that um, arrangement with them earlier. But on. how long has that company existed? Since like 2004, so... So in the beginning, it might have been, they had fewer resources, so all the employees had to work more. Yeah, they definitely did. People definitely did. And and I think, yeah, yeah, I think like it's a, comfor- it's a comfortable startup. And one of the things that positions us against others, I think, is that it- I don't want this to be an ad for FreshBooks, by the way. So, but is that like it's it's no longer a startup, really. It's actually what you would mm. call like a growth stage company. So a lot of people come to us because it's stable. It's like an easy, easier like lifestyle than startup lifestyle, right? But also you're not... Uh... You know, you're continuing something. You're not starting something. So it's. Th- does that also mean that that mindset works better? That you don't need maniacs who are screaming and they're like we're going to change the world. We just need more <laughs> stability. Yeah, yeah. Like the thing is, we make a real thing, and we don't. We're not like hell bent on growing to be like ten thousand people, and we don't. Want, this is a Canadian kind of mentality, though, too. Yeah. Uh, which is like. Well, you know, we're doing okay. You know, it's <laughs> it's like you know. Can you do a really thick Canadian accent saying we're doing okay? Uh, yeah, we're uh, doing okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something yeah, like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But one of the things I did want to talk about in relationship to startup culture that bothers me, um, especially when I look at the statistics in the United States, is that this culture is only available to like. And I know this isn't the political podcast, but it's really only available to a select few people. It's 70% white men, actually, that work in startup culture. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of that, you know, creates a weird kind of like, oh, doesn't everyone have life this way among the white men that I meet? You know, like... I'll yeah, meet- it's crazy. It's it's really crazy, but it um, I don't know what the fix is. But when you're used to hanging out with people... Doesn't everyone get free flights all the time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you yeah. have a kale smoothie delivered to your desk the first thing in the morning? <laughs> yeah. And so there's this, there's a weird uh, population, a large demographic population of people who work in this world, and they think that that's how the world is. Um, but it's also, it's also that uh, I understand that hiring people, especially in the beginning, takes a lot of trust because it's a big investment. Let's say you have a budget to hire 10 people. Mm-hmm. And then if you know these people already from college and you know these people and you you know that you can count on them and and then you have 10 people you have to hire 100 people so you hire their friends it, it makes so much sense to hire people you kind of know and that you're familiar with and yeah. understand each other and you have the same sense of humor so I really can't blame companies for hiring people they're familiar with in fact well it this is That's actually hard thing. yeah and yeah. it's a well it's kind of a documented problem i just gave a talk or a workshop on unconscious bias but basically most hiring in startup culture and start in the tech world let's just say tech now because there's a difference um is referral right like and i remember when i yeah. first started they're like well, do you know what my, do you have any my friends? wife just started my wife started a new job through referral yeah and she loves it and the other jobs she applied through through linkedin 700 people would apply for one position. Right. And you're just like a name. Yeah. But the problem with this referral-based thing is you end up getting a lot of people like others. And there's this idea in that culture of a culture fit. People will use this term. 
are they a culture fit? You're like, what do you mean? Like, are they just like us? Which yeah, but it, even for me as, as an artist, if I would have to hire someone, I'm going to spend a lot of time with that person. So at yeah. least I want them to be enjoy the same type of humor that I enjoy. I, I wouldn't like a person who smokes. Yeah, but here's uh, the here's the problem is that those you know that collective bias then informs the th- the things these people are making. So one great example is Airbnb, right? And maybe you know this example already. But if you're not uh, if you if you have like an African American sounding name, you're about twenty percent less likely to be accepted. Um, like when you when you mm. ask for a room reservation, and and your face is visible too. And apparently this yeah. all has an impact. So there, there's some people that like. Change their, to, change their profile. I don't know if it's true that it, it it's easier for an African-American to get an Uber than to get a cab. Um, it's probably easier to get a cab. Oh, you're saying because they would be visible in, a, in, a, in that Yeah, because it, it was, it was mm. really hard always to get a cab. Right, and right. Then, uh, no, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have a stat on that. I do know that it, you know, this came out um, and some people designed a hack to remove names and faces. And there were different people who changed their identities and showed Airbnb and they did respond with this feature that was like um, you know instant booking I don't know if you you know that now that you can like mm-hmm. book well they, that's basically a hotel then <laughs> that's right but the idea yeah. that it, Airbnb had, I mean don't be, get me started yeah. on Airbnb I think it's one of the worst companies in the world <laughs> okay yeah. alright we won't go too far with it except to say that you know the, their staff is less than 3% African American despite you know, they're being like 15% of the United that States That might population. also mean that they're missing a huge market. They are, they're missing not only a market, but I think what happens when people are designing and they're all like each other, specifically this matters to me as a designer, I think, someone who, who makes things for other people, is if you think you're making it for yourself, you're probably in a design. This is different from art, right? Art's a little bit for yourself, but design's really to help other people. And so if you're like designing... Yeah, you always have these young designers and they're like, small type and then old <laughs> yeah. people can't read it yeah they're like uh, I put this a uh, light gray type just so no one could read the words yeah, it's tasteful, tasteful. Yeah. yeah it's so funny yeah. we should do a whole podcast on how designers hate words it's like the copy's too long you know no one reads anything <laughs> anyway um, like even though the design is based on typography like that's the foundational kind of element of design I've had the opposite experience with designers where like let's let's not do images let's just do typography like, well we need the images no no you don't <laughs> right, 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 yeah, yeah there, there's a whole bunch we should do a whole thing on like design cliches but there's also a funny thing with briefings and creative people that whatever limit you put they want to cross so like okay I was briefed to design an interface but instead we made a shoe because a shoe is the best interface for the planet because you walk on the, on the <laughs> you know, these leaps of logic. Shoe, shoe based interface. That's awesome. I got to use that at some point. I uh, yeah. I was going to do a PowerPoint presentation, but instead I've been, I've, I, I created a shoe. <laughs> There's also this interesting thing in the arts where um, the, 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 the cliches of office culture, like the PowerPoint presentation and spreadsheets and mm-hmm. office chairs and uh, whiteboards and all these things yeah. uh, carry a lot of emotion as sort of uh, it, the loss of individuality. Yeah. And, that, and that's very interesting to put that in the gallery because the, in, the gallery is always about the most individual expression of the most free individual. And then... The, the large organization where it's all about numbers and crunching data mm-hmm. 
It, that's an interesting uh, dichotomy to me. That there are these like symbols or kind of communal. That, that there's the, these yeah these symbols of the of the opposite of what art is. So when you think mm. of art, it's 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 not uh, standard. Monks, uh, the scream. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the inner torment. Yeah, and then you have the office chair and the IBM computer. The and sticky the, note. Yeah. I love the sticky note as an example because it's this very constrained space of expre- for self-expression. It's a bright color, like go crazy, <laughs> crazy yeah, with your yeah. idea. Well, but yeah, keep Hans your Ulrich idea. Obrist has the, the, the internet <laughs> oh, yeah. account with post-its, yeah. post-it notes. But, yeah. but I think it's funny because it's like keep your idea to this tiny swatch of paper. It's like we yeah. <laughs> we, we created this t- we created this tiny. But it attracts area. attention because of the bright color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, get to it, the point. And there's a there's a actually a story behind that I, to go back like way 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 back to what you were saying earlier is it good to work people too hard uh, the company 3M that invented sticky notes right which is you know it ended up being a huge success the sticky note only exists because they gave their employees twenty percent time for self expression okay the, um, Google in theory does that too but the- a lot of companies struggle with this it's like well known as like like how you create environments for innovation or to like take away all the rules that you're talking about, right? It, it reminds me of artist grants where governments give artist grants in the hope that there will be a genius that the, the nation can be proud of. Right. But it's only going to be one or two people and the rest is, you know, you gave those people a nice life, but the reward the government is waiting for is, is it like a Van Gogh, like a, an icon? Right, but that happens once every two hundred years. That's you see the you hear the same thing. Venture capitalists always say the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the the one, one investment that pays off yeah. for all the others. Yeah, but yeah, sure. That's just like the law of it's the eighty twenty rule, right? The law of averages. Yeah, but it's more like a th- nine ninety nine to one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But it does remind me that. Uh, so one of the like whiteboards is a funny thing because they really exist as I believe, um, and I always say it whenever I get up to the whiteboard at work, I'm like, this is a power move <laughs> because immediately you're standing higher than everyone and you're writing on a. Well, surface. that's the office culture things that I'm really interested in they, these these dynamics and how the architecture yeah changes the perception. So as, when you're all across sitting across the table and you're just kind of chatting, but they're like. No, wait, I have a real idea that I'm, ex- I'm going to leave a trace. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This happens. I always call it out when I see it and people laugh. Yeah. But And it reminds me that one of the first things that I did uh, was make sure that I got these huge pads of paper that I put in every meeting where we're going to talk about ideas. And what you'll find is that, you know, because there's this type of person that's a quiet person, usually a designer, actually, because designers are usually quite self-reflective. Um, that they they'll they'll participate if they can like if they can write if they feel the, safe yeah if they can look at you in the eye and they're at the same level as you right and you, their ideas are equal but you have to design like the you have to get the you have to actually remove corporate culture like because it's been designed for power structure for centuries right like it's yeah. the, the like I well, mentioned this is earlier. the interesting thing to me so that yeah for large people large communities of people to work together you need a structure mm-hmm. but then the things we really need now. All the structure stuff is already figured out, and then you need the new ideas, and then you need to nurture them and be like, this is your playroom. You do whatever you want. We'll come back in <laughs> and a year. And it can go too far sometimes, but that's why you have this open office plan. That's one of the ideas. You create this feeling of community. You also have like the idea of a meeting room where there's no, you don't use the whiteboard, where you're you're all meeting around like you know, a circular table and at the same level drawing on, on, on paper. That's These are all It's the systems. same for comedy writing, I think, where you have to create a space where people feel free to 
just yeah. mumble and, and whatever comes to mind. And yeah. Because if you're in front of a very critical crowd, then you just shut down. Yeah, but I, I think like to believe that corporate America or corporate world uh, hasn't the corporate world hasn't figured out what's wrong with power is it, you know yes we have these tendencies to recreate this kind of power but I think a lot of corporations that I visit are a little bit more advanced than your average uh, group of artists getting together to to figure something out you know like oh yeah, um, yeah. And that, well it's funny in, in in galleries when you it, it's that there's a lot of intimidation it's and and uh in 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 corporate world they're always trying to prove how creative they are and in gallery world they're always trying to prove how business they are yeah so it's well or they're saying like well we wouldn't do that because right and i think when we do that when we like set up these limits like i we couldn't learn from you know corporate culture or we couldn't learn from artist culture essentially you're 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 creating you're informing your own biases you're reinforcing these like the, the like a, a bubble around you of potential um this is me just like giving you like a straight up uh motivational speech corporate motivational speech i feel like but but honestly like these it doesn't help anyone like i'm working with galleries through the canada council to help them you know, even just modernize their management practices, which are like... But, but there's a funny thing in gallery world that, uh, for example, one of the first galleries I started with in Amsterdam, Yeah, uh, he started in a very small space and he just had a desk in the back of the space, but it was an open space. Yeah. And so people would just walk in and show their portfolio and like seven or ten times a day, someone would come up with any anything, just like as a hobby, I've done a few balloon sculptures or yeah. whatever and it's very painful to turn them down so at some point he created a wall and then he created an office and then he got a bigger space and he's even further to, he had to create that barrier well he had to do that to maintain like I guess probably a brand and an image within a, a yeah a, it's just a, also a practical solution of mm. people walking down the street and thinking hey there's a gallerist in the room I can talk to him right I would have seen that I think mm. like there's a group of people a large number of people in the world that feel like they need a place to express themselves, and maybe I would have created Instagram, right? Like instead, he created a, a gallery that maybe just barely scraped by <laughs> is going to close. <laughs> Sorry, that's my. That's no, my, it's true. It's true. Right? It's true. Like yeah. it, it, the insight there that you shared with me is that like people are dying to like express themselves. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Different goals. Different goals. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't think that it helps to like be mean to your gallery staff like the number of times i've i've talked to people in tears over like a museum director that's an absolute tyrant you know who says but there is something about uh, uh, people want to be in a club they're not allowed to be into they, the club they're already allowed into is uh, what's that gro- the oh, Marx right. brother groucho yeah, I don't want to be part of a club that accepts me. So th- there's something exciting, and it's the same way fashion works, where y- if you enter a fashion store, it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. It's kind of empty, and uh, people look at you kind of mean. How long is this exciting weird? for, though? I feel like after a certain age, this is no longer <laughs> that exciting. Like, I don't... But there's something There's something about uh, aspiring to something you can't access. Mm. Yeah, I remember a friend had a gallery, and it was the last opening before they closed the gallery and they created this uh it was pretty amazing actually the, so the closing night what they did is they created a gallery inside the gallery with bouncers and if you had shown in the gallery before you were allowed into this smaller 
party inside the gallery and everyone else the regular people had to walk around that and they could look at like look at that as a sculpture kind of thing and he knew that this would like anger people and so at some point they incited like people to tear down the walls and so the the whole event it was really lovely ended in all the the gallery collapsing inside the gallery and everyone (laughs) everyone belonging together and partying together i I remember being at an art fair at a party and overheard a conversation and this guy was like i spent two hundred thousand pounds at white cube today and i'm still not allowed at the party (laughs) (laughs) well that's how yeah it's funny everyone's planning their venice trips right now in the art world right we're all going to you know, go. To, are, should I go to the opening weekend at Venice or not? Right, but one thing I always I advise rem- anyone to not go. <laughs> it's so horrible. Yeah, because the, the 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 problem there is that there's always a better party somewhere else. Exactly. So never, yeah. Yeah, and you're not allowed in. Well, at least that's my experience, right? It's like oh man, the the anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you have to take a boat to an island and then be turned away from the yeah. island. Sorry, boat's full. <laughs> it's it is really. It is really totem pole of like... And we did a BYOB once in, in Venice. Oh, yeah. We missed the last boat, so I had to sleep on the little island. Oh, you were one of the people who slept on the island. Wow. Yeah. I was staying in Mestra, the industrial wasteland opposite <laughs> uh, Venice, which I always think is very funny because like Venice is this beautiful place and then right opposite is this like industrial heartland, like <laughs> disgusting, <laughs> worst part of Italy. <laughs> Uh, actually, yeah. I stayed in a beautiful, like, kind of designer boutique space in Mestre. It's there are some nice parts to it. But. There is, uh, yeah. I mean, we're getting off topic, yeah. but there is. I, I, I was surprised that there's really great food in Venice. The average restaurant you can go is it's terrible, but then I have some friends who oh, live there. Yeah, um, because the common thing is Venice has terrible food. Uh, yeah, but some friends of mine live there, so there's, there's definitely great places. Okay, I didn't know that. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is off topic, but it's just that, you know, there is the exclusivity in the art world. It, but it one more question about office culture. Yeah. Are you are you always, every day when you wake up, are you happy to go to work? Or sometimes you're like, oh, man. I, you know, I'll admit that um, sometimes I'm not into it. And it's usually if I'm not working on something that I think, like you said earlier, that will make an impact or will be interesting or because there's there's something nice about the, you you get a little bit of endorphins or whatever it is mm-hmm. fulfilling a task and when yeah. when you're useful exactly but then when it's when it's too predictable when you're not stimulated it, it's hard to be excited yeah like the the times in my life and and I think the people that have worked for me um, that have been worse for them or when a project gets canceled we all know this like I think it's true okay. in art too well actually no and sometimes in art when something gets canceled like woohoo <laughs> like <laughs> I did the work but I don't have to go to the thing I can show it somewhere else and I won't be stressed anyway <laughs> uh, but in yeah I think if your project gets canceled um then you've done all this work and no one's ever going to see it. And and there are but a lot you could of... could probably use the idea in another form another time. Yeah, but there are a lot of companies... This is a funny, uh, like, maybe segue, but it's still the same topic. A lot of companies in startup world that ca- have this kind of stealth mode. And so they call it, we're in stealth. I'm not sure if you've heard this, but the idea is like a company that, do, you know, is keeping all of what they're doing secret. And sometimes it's like you don't even know the company exists. And so a lot of workers are working on things that are in stealth and they can't tell their family even about it you know like the, mm-hmm. the what did you do today yeah the culture around secrecy i think is absurd frankly but whatever it's to it's a highly competitive uh, market sometimes and uh and so that can feel really demotivating like 
What did you do today? Yeah. I worked on something I could never tell anyone about, and I'm not sure if it's ever going to exist. But, um, and I'm sure that that's true among a lot of professionals outside of that world too. Like therapists can't talk about stuff, and lawyers obviously. And mm-hmm. but uh, I know that it's not very motivating. Like we're motivated to share things with other people. I always remind myself that that's that's why I became an artist too. I know you're you're not so into uh, pleasing audiences, but. Sharing with other people is like no, I share stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah of course. It's like, yeah, um, but, 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 uh, it's interesting to me that uh, that feeling. So a a big part of my practice is also kind of like an office job because mm. there's a lot of stuff where I have to fill out a press release or resize some images or right. uh, update a JavaScript file. I that's love, very much. I love that's the, what you think an office job. Is. <laughs> like clerical work all day long that's all i do i just have a is file a big filing cabinet i, I pull files well, but that, that feeling of those little tasks it's very addictive addictive to me where you constantly feel because the other part of art making is okay i've made something is this relevant to humanity mm-hmm. and you'll never get an answer so you don't have that feeling of the job's done and then yeah so I, I wonder if that can be very fulfilling to a lot of people where they they have to do the same task over and over but you get a feeling of but that's just okay, not, I did something that's clerical work I just don't think that that's what office most of that stuff's getting automated now too and that's definitely not what office mm. work is anymore like the type of things but, but maybe that's the, th- the, the 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 part of the population that will fall behind because a lot of people were not meant to come up with the next genius idea but they mm. like doing a little job that they help somebody else, and at the end of the day, uh, they fix something. So, yeah, but as you an can example, automate plumbing, but it's yeah. it's really satisfying to fix plumbing oh, in I a see. house. Somebody had a leakage, yeah. and then you come in and you fix it. You feel productive for doing that. It's funny, yeah, because I had a team of people a few weeks ago working on like trying to figure out how people think about time. <laughs> it's like a philosophical <laughs> research topic. And yeah, it's we like, have a new startup. We're, we're starting on the perception of time. <laughs> it, it's yeah. always super important. It's to, a little app called Reality. It was, <laughs> 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 it's super important to like break through. There's like a lot of conversations like that that happen. Now. And so, I mean, one thing I just want to correct the record. I'm, in a lot of companies, what people are working on is basically... Uh, research projects like basically ethnography that's what most of my life in advertising was that's what most of my life in tech has been so it's really like it's so funny too because it's mostly trying to figure out what's happening outside the building there's this term in in that world called you know get out of the building or whatever because mm-hmm. there's this resistance once you get into the cubicle or once you get into the well I have the, the same thing chair. with my chair it, it, when yeah. I'm at home in, with my big screen and the good sound system in the yeah. chair you never want to leave I can't get out yeah. yeah yeah. so and we've talked a lot about the perks keeping people in the building that kind of thing but the hilarious irony of this is everyone's projects everything everyone work, is working on is like literally outside so maybe like the future startups will just be on the street it'll be like it'll be yeah. a group of people well my, my vision of a future startups is that it'll be five-year-olds yelling ideas into an AI and, and then the AI is like okay you're a billionaire okay, you're not a billionaire <laughs> right it's like uh, well, it's it, like Uber for diapers yeah. or maybe yeah you'll you'll have to invest in an AI startup and then when you have shares you're allowed to use it and other people aren't allowed to use it and they'll be like different and that's yeah. a, well that's another a story for another day but I do think that like the, it's it is funny because a lot of the learning happens out in the world and then the idea of an office is I think perverted in a way well maybe this is is similar 
I found that with uh, coming up with ideas and art making, that I need to sit down and sit behind the computer and sort of struggle, but you might not find what you... So I'm trying to find a new idea. Yeah. And then you go outside and you go for a walk or you talk to some people and all of a sudden you find what you were looking for. Yeah. And so, but if I don't have the three, four hours of just torturing myself behind the computer and then I go out, nothing happens. Yeah. So I compare it to um, when you have a bow and arrow and you're pulling the bow. Yeah. The, yeah. And then you let go. And then the, but if you stretch it too far, the, the bow breaks. Yeah, Kristen. And if you don't stretch it enough, totally. then the, the arrow doesn't fly. I agree. I mean, Kristen always tells me, Jeremy, if you spend too long indoors working on your stuff, it gets worse. Your your work is worse. Yeah. You know, she always notices that. But that's the thing that I mean with the, the, the endorphins you get from doing clerical work. Mm-hmm. And you, you constantly have this. Uh, Gratification, the same way social media works or, yeah. or email, even. I see. I think email is the new clerical work where you're like, oh, I had a hundred emails, but they're yeah. all gone now. And then the next one shows up and the next one. Yeah, well, one of the most uh, popular VR games out there right now is one where you're like doing little clerical work, like stapling things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think, yeah, maybe that's what's happened. If we're it's satisfying, like washing dishes. Office culture at this point now is simply just an aesthetic pleasure. <laughs> Like nothing more than that. It does, like the myth of it doesn't exist anymore. It's simply like yeah, you're like washing dishes. It's this it's this primitive human aesthetic that we yeah, want to. When you think about the, the world before sp- uh, computer spreadsheets, yeah, the amount of time people spend at calculating things, yeah, um, slowly everything is computerized, and all that's left is like making decisions. <laughs> that's right, and soon maybe yeah, it's true. It's all it's all based on insight. Um, and synthesis, right? That's everything. But um, yeah, I don't know uh, what I, I was thinking about. Something. Well, I, I, when I think about the Brave New World, the novel, mm-hmm. and then uh, <clears throat> they were engineering a society and they were breeding people instead of them being born into families. So yeah, people were created in factories, and they tried a, a, a civilization that was. They had four classes of people, and the A class are the ones who make decisions and come up with ideas. Mm. And the B class fixes things, and the C class cleans things, something like that. And they tried a society with only class A babies, and nobody wanted to fix stuff for other people, and everybody felt entitled. It didn't work. Mm. So they, so I, But if you have a society where everything's automated, and there is no clerical work, yeah. and you only need geniuses, yeah, so yeah. that's a... I, I, yeah. Well, it does remind me that like our favorite uh, correspondent, we can't go through a podcast without mentioning his name, Mark Zuckerberg. He is like traveling. Shout out to the homie Mark. <laughs> Shout out to homie Mark. Unofficial third member of the Good Boy Podcast. <laughs> He's uh, doing this really funny thing where he, I mean, it's funny in, retros- in, in relation to what we're talking about, because I think the idea that the wall's coming down. Uh, oh, yeah, he wants to meet a new person every day from around the U.S. That's that, his challenge for the year. That's his challenge for the year, which I think we've alluded oh, to every week or something in a separate podcast. It, 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 so, it sounds so funny that this autistic person in in this weird bubble is like, I should meet some of the comments. <laughs> I know he's like a king, <laughs> king descending oh, from so, the heavens. Oh, so they don't fly on a jet ski around? It. Oh, <laughs> oh, really? Well, the reason this exists comes back to my earlier point, which is like inside these bubbles, there's this like this perceived reality, right? Um, and so the, these CEOs are like, I must get back in touch with the people. It, it's a classic. It's the same when you watch rock bands, and then they they start out in a garage, and they're just four guys, and we, we and we created a movement, yeah. and then 
and then Authentic. they get into the whole stadium thing and they make these huge concerts and they drive around in limos but then we went back to our roots <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll never be teenagers again it's so. true yeah, yeah. It, it's a really cliche. I, I'm sorry for uh, this whole podcast. Has sorry, been Mark. A, a complete cli- <laughs> I know, but I'm also I've been emphasizing the cliches throughout the the podcast. I think that's how we always end up. We always end up uncovering. Well, it, it, if if we wouldn't discuss cliches of office culture, we would we would discuss unique offices that are different from all the rest. But we're trying to uh, talk about office culture in general. So I'm sure there's offices that are the opposite of every other office. But we're trying to discuss. Mm. I mean, I know, I know, I know there are there are there are terrible places. I mean, where people cry every day, (laughs) 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 and who are stomped on by their bosses, and then there are places where people actually have physical injury. You know, like uh, suicides at Foxconn. Yeah, there's all kinds. of Well, that's not office culture. That's that's factory work. But well, I don't know. Like, is there much difference? Because I remember when I was starting out, and we should probably get close to wrapping up here. But when I was starting out. I wanted to be a 3D animator when I was like a kid, when I was starting mm-hmm. out. When I was starting out as a yeah, young who entrepreneur. Doesn't, who doesn't think about that when they're a kid? <laughs> well, like, three, like computers. I want to be an astronaut. I want to render things. Weirdly, a lot of my friends wanted to be computer animators, actually, at that age. Okay. Um, and it was the 90s. And then everyone, every, there were all these programs that started, and all these big schools that you could get into for computer animation, computer uh, kind of stuff. And then... In the in the over the last couple of decades, like there were too many people, right? So there were way too many computer animators. Oh, yeah. You have an inflation of animators. Yeah, and I have a, a a friend or a family member actually who works in that industry, and they they've told me about some terrible places where they've worked as three D animators, where it was a lot like the way we decide describe startups early on. It was like. You know, yeah, beer fridge and like ping pong, and it was like I'm a 3D animator, and now it's like these slave farms are like, I mean, well, and you have to be really good. Yeah, some some of the top ones make, but tons a, of, but but a lot of the work, that, a lot of the work is very like mundane and mechanical, like yeah, outlining. But I also, I think 3D animation, particularly even more than coding, it's it's a lifestyle. It's not a profession. It's not a it's not a job you do every now and then. It's something you decide. I'm going to be glued into this world but i'm sure you've heard there's, there's no middle ground i'm sure you've heard of people working in disney studio early on disney studio was wonderful it was amazing mm-hmm. and then um now no, i think it was always brutal I, from what i've read it's always that I mean they had their own art school uh, they, they, there were a lot of special things but it was also the depression so they could get a lot of people to yeah that's where it, I wanted was, to get to, which they is could, like they could get people for cheap, and that's why they could make Snow White and things like that. Sure, I mean, the, and that's the, the idea reason of I brought a full time a full time animated film was ludicrous because mm-hmm. people thought it was for kids; it should be six minutes. And Disney was able to do that because labor was so cheap then. Yeah, and to do that kind of that number of hand drawings, like we're talking about millions, if not billions, <laughs> of drawings. <laughs> It's just insane. It's insane. Well, we can do a whole another episode on animation. I think I think we have to wrap things up because I'm uh, having some friends over. Oh yeah, and you're not even. You're, where are you today? I'm in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I'm in, uh, some of my friends. Uh, I'm gonna cook chili for. Oh, that sounds nice. Of, and I have yeah. a I have a phone call with a friend as well. Um, but we did do a, a. Should we talk about ambient recordings or the this? Yeah, this week? yeah. Well, the. We've we've both been recording things, and I was interested in the sound of uh, Jeremy's office, and that's how we chose the topic this week. So we're, we're kind of starting with an ambient recording and then deciding on the topic. 
Yeah, so that's the limit of this podcast now. Is if it can't be recorded in ambient form, <laughs> then it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I've also we also keep asking if if you'll send in an ambient recording. I asked someone explicitly. I haven't heard back for an ambient recording. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is there's a, re- a voice memos app on every iPhone. So yeah, just use it. Just use it. If you're sitting and waiting for the bus, just record something. And maybe it's interesting for maybe the three people that got this far. <laughs> this is the treat. Uh, yeah, so this is a recording of. Uh, my office. Now, you won't hear any trade secrets or any uh, anything super uh, sensitive because it's in the support area of the office, but it's near where I work. And it's kind of the same sound I noticed because I, I did recordings. In That's t- kind of the clerical work part, I guess. Where uh, it's, it, yeah. There's it's, so, so you hear some phones ringing, which is like a bit bizarre because phones don't ring outside of this area. Um, that's like not a modern sound. Most offices don't, the phones don't ring anymore. Um, but you will. Are the people there who work there pretty happy? Yeah, so you'll hear like a lot of laughter, which is kind of I think interesting, and a lot of talking. There's the like I said in other areas of the office I recorded, and it sounded very similar. Um, I just didn't want anything. Uh, Someone should start a help desk for parents when they have to need computer help. Parent? Oh yeah, because that's something that I deal with too. Yeah, My, yeah, I'm a, I'm already a help desk for parents for sure. I'm sure yeah. you're doing that because you're in yeah, yeah. Amsterdam yeah. right now. Um, yeah. So anyway, I. Listen and enjoy uh, to the sounds of the office. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. See you next week. Bye. Thank you.